0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Hello and welcome to Las Blancas Podcast. I'm your host, Om Arvin, and as always, I'm joined by Grant Little. Today, we're going to talk about Real Madrid Femenino's 3-0 victory over Breda Blake, which has officially progressed them into the quarterfinals of the UEFA Women's Champions League. It's a historic moment. It's a reason to celebrate. And what's been a particularly dire season, there's been... A ton of off-field drama, and just drama in general, I guess, with this club, which kind of became super apparent or even more apparent than usual when we went into the international break. Osnar was sacked. And then we had the match versus Villarreal, which no one could watch live besides the couple of people that were at the stadium. There was a match. The, there was a recording of it actually posted online by a fan later on, which we posted on las blancas account uh you should be able to find on youtube if you just um you know search it correctly so we can watch it now but at the time there was nothing and so like there was nothing on the pitch really for for a long period right to talk about with this team and so it was just a bunch of off-field or just drama stuff to discuss right there was like the really bizarre tweet by esther's agent which i'm sure most of you have seen by now Trying to claim that a goal that was given to Naikari was actually Esther's, and it was just a super weird moment. That was just like, what, what, what is going on here? Like, there was something that I think went more under the radar, but Kasi not being included in the squad for the Champions League may or may not have to do with her not being vaxxed, um, which is obviously a problem if you're going to do European travel, which was like. There was more rumor. There was, like, you know, a source backing it up. Like, I'm not sure how much to read into that, but I thought it would be kind of remiss if, like, it wasn't brought up given, you know, how strong Grant and I's stance is on taking the vaccine. So, just to say that with this team, there has just been, like, so much exhausting discourse around everything, almost like everything that's not about stuff on the pitch, because we'd reached a point where. You know everything was in shambles, right? Dressing room, the relationship with the coach, like to to a point where it just felt like okay, us getting you know failing on the pitch had almost become like what what more is there to talk about, right? Grant, we were running out of things to talk about, so it was a really welcome relief to finally be able to watch our first match under Alberto Torio live, and it was a victory. The second half was tricky, but overall largely comfortable victory. Grant, how did it feel to be able to just you know, sit back and, and watch the football again.
0: Yeah, it felt good.
1: Um, you know, normally we're excited about the quality of
0: the zone, and I don't think this is any any fault of their own. The weather was absolutely atrocious in Iceland. It made it a little hard to watch, but ultimately I was happy with how they came out of the gates. They came out strong, got an early goal, which is really crucial when you when you just look at kind of how hard it was for the goalkeepers to kind of catch the ball. I think the Brady Blake goalkeeper eventually realized that she's better off punching or tipping because you try and catch that ball in the snow like that, it's just gonna slip out of your hands. And when the conditions are like that, it takes one mistake, one counterattack, and you're down. So I was happy to see the team come out with good energy, get an early lead and kind of dominate that first half and put it to bed early because, in
1: situations like that, things can get tricky and weird things can happen. So I think it's quite difficult to take away grand talking points from this match for a number of reasons. One definitely is the conditions, which just complicated a lot of things, right? Like there, there were a bunch of misplaced passes, and it's it's hard to tell how much of the sloppiness, for example, from Tede or Zornoza in certain instances was just sloppiness or the fact that the ball was not traveling properly on the ground. As more and more snow fell, so like that was a huge factor with everything. There's there's another one which is that if I'm if the commentator was correct in his information, the one I had on the English feed for the zone, matches in Iceland are over um, because like this is the weather they expect, right? And so the, their their women's team, blicks was like training against like their the men's youth side and stuff like that to to be able to to stay match fit because they didn't have any competitive games coming into this one. So, I mean, obviously, it's really difficult to take stuff away from against Bredeblik, right? This is the team we smashed 5-0 when we were playing under Osnar, right? So, there's that. There's also the fact that, like, this is only Corio's second game in charge. So, there are some tactical observations I've had, and I will mention them. But just, as usual, like keep in mind that it's going to take a while before we really understand what this team looks like under him right and then another thing i've forgotten and there'll just be endless number of, of things to caveat this with but right Asani is back cardona will be back like there's just so much different in this specific match and there will be you know a lot different in specific games going forward like as i said it'll probably take like january maybe even further for us to like or, or I said February on the last podcast, probably that maybe even until March where we're, we're actually able to sit back and be like, okay, this is what we think this team looks like. This is Torio's preferred 11. This is his tactical style. This is, you know, whether we think it's good or bad. But anyway, we have a starting 11 versus Betablick. Any surprises for you, Grant? It, it looked like he had a tiny bit of rotation, right? Corridera came into the side. Maite was on the bench, but barely standard, right? Yeah, I think so. I think like you said a little
0: rotation. Nothing really to write home about especially knowing that it is to Blick all respect to them but we did win the game 5-0 last time. So, I wasn't going to really take too much out of whatever the starting lineup looked like especially with Barcelona coming up on the weekend.
1: Yeah, I think there was a little bit of thinking about Barcelona ahead which by the way, if I'm correct would be broadcast national television in Spain which is like we've won, but at what cost, type of thing? Because it's going to be tough to watch Real Madrid, like Jenny Hermoso, put five goals past Misa in the first 30 minutes. But I guess that's good for women's football. So, yeah, I, I think there was even a sense in the second half that we were approaching things that way, which again, we'll get to. But a fairly straightforward game, right? We go there expecting to win despite all the conditions, despite all the caveats. And it was a rough maybe first five to six minutes as everyone was adjusting to the conditions or like five, six misplaced passes, right? So one per minute. And we weren't really settling in until we did. And we started to build towards goal. And then Aslani gets a really early goal, kind of like some action off of a set piece. And then Aslani gets to the loose ball and it's a brilliant finish into the top corner. And then that first half is complete easy dominance for us. So. SofaScore does statistics for the UEFA Women's Champions League, updates them live. In the first half, 68% possession to 32% in favor of us. 15 shots, 7 on target. And if you look at the Bradablik column for everything, it's just a bunch of zeros. No shots for them, obviously not on target, no corner kicks. And it was just everything was going our way. 10 shots inside the box. Who kind of stood out for you in that first half? I think I know who you're gonna say, but I, I just ask as a formality. Do I only give one, or can I can I give a? Couple? You can you can go multiple, but like, I I I, I guess I was asking who is D one, but I think that's I mean me too, yeah, too it's obvious. Aslani, right? I mean, right, so yeah. <laughs> comes
0: back, scores two goals. I think what she added in the middle of the pitch is maybe even more vital than the goals that she has, which obviously, you know, we need goals and we've struggled to score them at times, but her ability to filter things centrally to drift out wide, to either flank and create these little webs or these triangles to link up her ability to turn and go forward. It's all things that we've been missing. And I honestly kind of forgot what it was like to have her, her playing in this forward line or this midfield, but it, it makes it so that the team, whether it's playing poorly or it's playing well, has this extra dimension and is able to attack in these different ways. And it also adds this other level of individual brilliance that can get you out of all kinds of things. So obviously Aslani was the one, I mean, she scored the first goal with an incredible, incredible, incredible finish. Won the penalty with a good little bit of footwork and then you know what happens when Aslani steps to the spot it may have been a while but you know what she she put it away as cold as anybody so she was she was the player of the match today
1: and you wanted to talk about other players or was that just a question like whether you were allowed to talk about
0: Uh, it was 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 a little bit of a question but it was a little bit of I can I can mention other players as well Um, I thought Athanea had a really good game I don't know how you're pulling off some of those nutmegs, some of those touches, the changes of pace on a turf field that's covered in ice. It's it's incredible. She looked really good today in that first half, and I thought she brought a lot on on that right wing. I also thought Teresa, although she did have a few giveaways, which I think could probably be blamed a little on the conditions, thought she did a good job of adjusting well and playing these low – passes that just get off the ground and aren't kind of slowed by the snow but also weren't in the air to get caught up in the flurries and she did a good job dropping deep into that kind of six roll and the build-up serving as the pivot to move the
1: ball forward and switch things side to side Aslani was fantastic today and I'm kind of with you like I almost forgot what it was like to have her just oiling all the gears in the side, helping everything move really smoothly through midfield, through the flanks. And I think it really helps Esther when there's like a proper designated 10, like Aslani, because then there isn't so much confusion about, okay, who's dropping off when, when it's a a two up top, right? When in her mind, it's like, I'm playing next to another striker as opposed to I'm playing next to someone Who's a number 10 slash false nine or whatever? The, the way the Esther Aslani dynamic looked looked much similar to what we see with Spain when Esther's playing like with Jenny. And Jenny is like the alpha, right? The one who drops off and everything. And I'm, I'm not saying it's the exact same dynamic, right? I don't know what their personal relationship is like, but it was like all of that linking stuff, all of that dropping off, it was super clear that that was Aslani's job. And Esther did come off to the left, especially because most of Aslani's touches were on the right in the first half, and Esther linked things there. But it's one of the more limited roles I've seen for her. And she didn't have, like, I think the most amazing game. But I think when playing with Aslani, right, this is a really positive sign because we want Esther to be the person occupying the defensive line, especially if the wingers are going to be as wide as they were today. And so I, I just kind of like that. But going back to just what Aslani was doing for herself and how that related to the team, like, I, I mean, she's just so clean, receiving between the lines, always moving, always finding the right spaces. And she began to like kick up a really good relationship with Ateneo on the right hand side, right? Like, darting into the channels, floating off to the sideline, and just releasing players in behind. And that's the other thing with Aslani, right? Like everything she does is so quick. She, she'll drop off, she'll receive, and then half a second later, the ball is out of her feet and someone is going away. And, and we had like a really nice triangle on the right-hand side with maybe Kenty being released on the underlap. And, and there were just nice things happening there. That was just Aslani was the center of all of it.
0: That pass to Kenty toward the end of the first half was, was awesome. Just the yeah, ability I mean, to hold that up and play that through where absolutely nobody on Blick saw that pass coming. And I think, you know, I, don't, I didn't see it coming either.
1: Yeah, Aslan was by far our most important player of the game. Just some statistics from SofaScore, obviously, 59 touches, 34 attempted passes, 91% passing accuracy, which is even against Blick for an attacking player with all of their touches in tight spaces and dangerous areas passing towards goal that's really something i mean she was just on it today three key passes two out of six successful dribbles two shots on target three were blocked and obviously two goals right like it was just a really sharp clean performance it's like if you wanted to show someone in a game what aslani is about this would be one of the games you show them right because She's got all that stuff outside the box, the way she just improves our ability to circulate, play through a defense. And then the fact that she also has the box component of her game, right? Like she's she's like Benzema in the sense that, like, yes, yeah, she'll live and spend most of her time outside the box, but somehow she finds the time to also get into the area and create shots from good locations. And she was just really, really fantastic today, especially in that first half. And I think. She was the reason we, we won the way we did. You know, I, I, I mean, I, I'm certain even with a different lineup, we would have come out there and won. But given the conditions, and maybe b- based on how the second half went, possibly could have been a little tougher. But with Aslani out there, like, the first half was just a cruise. It was easy. Um, in terms of, like, I guess, broader tactical points and saying this with, like, extreme caution and with, like, a great degree of uncertainty, I thought it was interesting that one Zornoza was the one pushing up higher than Tede in, in most possessions, which is like kind of the flip side of what Osnar was doing. Like, I mean, he's generally enjoyed pushing up Tede higher, but, um, Claudia when paired with her has tended to be the deepest ball player. Um, and so that was interesting, but the bigger point, I think was the fact that the double pivot, was rarely in the same line like when Zornoza pushed up it usually pushed up way up right like behind another line of defense trying to clear space for the deeper plan the double pivot and create some like staggered positioning and then asani would kind of play off that so for like brief moments it almost looked like we had like an asymmetric midfield three um so that was interesting whereas under asna the double pivot it tends to be just like a much flatter line and the other thing was the triangles we were forming on the flanks were really nice, but I don't know how much to take away there because it felt like that was mostly just an Aslani thing. Obviously, it could be part of Torio's instructions, but like it's just something I can't know. And without being there in the dressing room and the tactics are given out, you need to like wait multiple games to be able to see patterns and things that are consistent. Then you can go and say, okay, this feels like a change. I don't know. Um, how much to take away from that. I, I, it's something I saw in this game. It's something to keep looking out for, like how well we are able to connect, play on the wings, overload areas, and, and play through defenses. Whereas a lot of times, maybe in the Osnar era, it was just like the fullback and the winger, and they were kind of on their own and they had to make things happen. The other thing I liked, and which was surprising to me given the conditions, was like we were really, really patient on the ball, right? Like we didn't see anything happening on one flank. Let's rotate to the other side wait for Aslani to come over and then we start building like it was it was quite a low tempo for such bad conditions and with the potential for a lot of passing inaccuracy and so those are just some tactical notes i had
0: yeah i had the i had the same thing especially about about that second point i think you know maybe it's you point to Aslani being back in the side maybe it's the setup maybe it's the confidence of coming in knowing that you've beaten this opponent 5-0 already but the ability for the team to kind of slow things down and build up, be patient, be brave enough to kind of play through a team when the conditions were so horrible. I'm not so sure that we see that in a team that has David Osnar as the head coach in the state that we were in right now before he got fired. I don't know if it's real, if it's the freedom of not having Osnar anymore. I just feel like, I kind of expected the team, especially after they got their first goal, to sit back and kind of just bomb balls forward. Let the likes of Aslani, Esther, Athenea, Muller run forward and try and just see if you could capitalize on a slip on the goal on long shots with the goalkeeper not being able to handle the ball. The way that they played in the first half was promising for me and something that looked very different than what we've seen in the past, especially considering the
1: conditions of the match other first half thoughts i also agree out the nail is impressive like on, on first look you kind of look at her dribble stats and it's like three out of ten completed dribbles not amazing completion rate in my mind i can go back and think like yeah i can think of four or five times where what she pulls off doesn't come off like that amazing nutmeg ultimately results in a dispossession but i think when you account for the conditions and how difficult it would be to dribble Plus, like weighing the risk she was taking versus like a bunch of positive actions. Like she was a clear boon on the pitch for the team. And it was sort of classic Adaneya that she was going to try a bunch of things. Not everything would come off, especially in the conditions. But how many times did she just get clear away from the defender, get to the byline and put a dangerous ball in, which was enhanced by Astani dragging people over, sucking people in with her off ball and on ball gravity and then playing her in behind. I thought Atene was great, and I think she really would benefit going forward with a player that really knows how to link with her and, and really explicitly looks to release her into beneficial situations. As opposed to stuff in the past, where it's like Atene just like literally trying to carry this team, take on three, four players at a time, and it doesn't really go anywhere. She's also a player that can get in behind, she doesn't always have to be receiving defeat and dribbling into a mess of players it's like we can do things to set her up for easier situations where she can just burn defenders. Right. So this is something I'm looking forward to. Like I'm, I'm really excited now for Aslani at because it it looked like Aslani like really enjoyed playing with a player like that. Like the, the, for, for the connection to happen that quickly was, was pretty impressive.
0: Yeah. Athenea took that touch in the 25th minute where the ball kind of came. And I think it was Aslani who played the ball. It may, it may have been someone different but she took that touch with like the outside of her boot and just immediately she was 15 feet away from her defender. It ended up turning into a shot over the bar by Zornosa, but that the ability to do that when, I mean, in the first half she had like short sleeves and shorts on. I mean, like she had to be like basically an icicle in this terrible, terrible condition on turf with ice, with snow, and she's able to take a touch that perfectly to set her up to be able to get into the area, it, that that touch blew me away. And that's the kind of thing where even if Athanea goes three for 10 out of dribbles, that's why you want it, because she picks the right time. And when it comes off, it's such a net positive as to when it normally doesn't come off, that it's, it's a risk you're willing to live with.
1: So Muller goes off in the 57th minute, and I don't really think there's much to talk about about her in the second half, which I don't think is really her fault. So let's just, I think, if we have anything to say about her, let's say about it here. But what do you think of her performance? Because she did get on the ball a decent bit, even though the attack flowed mainly through the right. But she wasn't as involved in a ton of like chances created. So what do you make of her involvement today and playing off the left, right? Because we've seen her thrive as a striker a lot. She had the hat trick versus Breda Blick playing up top. A real twice now has, has played her out wide. And again, we, that, I, I don't know if that means anything about how he sees her going forward, but what did you think about her as a left winger on the day, especially with Core there behind her, right? So you have two players who are right footed on that left. I didn't get a chance to go
0: back and watch the uh, fan cam of the uh, Via Real game. So I don't really know how she played in that. I think that she's probably better centrally in that role that kind of Aslani was in today dropping off and everything but obviously if Aslani's healthy she's going to be in that location so maybe Thoriel's is trying to figure out where he could kind of make Muller fit. I think that she she struggled today not necessarily by any fault of her own out on that left. She was isolated. She had a couple crosses that were decent, got on the ball a few times, but I think that The way that Teresa and Zornosa were set up, as well as the way that Asalani was kind of drifting over to the right more. And then you have the ability for, you know, more midfielders to go that way because so much of the ball is over there. She was left a little isolated in. I think that her role maybe changes if Olga's in behind her bombing up and down the flank. But with Corradera there, right-footed her, right-footed, you didn't see Corradera bombing up as much. You didn't see them really linking up and forming a connection with somebody else or forming a triangle on that side. So I don't think there's much to take away from her performance. She wasn't very involved. I don't think it was a bad performance. She was just isolated, and I think it had to deal do a little bit with how the team was set up.
1: I think it was a more difficult one for her. Because Cora there, who I thought was fine, by the way. She had one moment that a lot of people are talking about where she just gets skinned in the second half. But on the ball, I thought she was fine. Um, usually there's a huge trade-off with all these aggressive passes she makes into the inside because the accuracy can be completely off on half of them. But most of them to my eye were connecting. You know, obviously Breda Blick aren't like some immense defensive force and just from a rotational perspective, you got to do it right. You you got to rest Olga at, at certain points, and so she was fine. But when she is not going to be this dominant overlapping fullback, it's Mueller that's the one that's kind of restricted towards the touchline. Has to go one versus one a lot, and her footwork was actually like quite nifty. And four or five of the time she set up against a defender, it's just that like. She just seems to lack that little bit extra injection of agility and explosiveness after she kind of like unsettles a defender with her footwork. And so in all of those in- instances, she just couldn't quite create that clear separation. And so I'm really interested to see how Todeo manages this moving forward, because I do think she can play out wide. But I, has, I, I do think that has to be as a player that has freedom to come inside a lot more. And it just doesn't really match as much with Corradea's like skill set and how she wants to position herself as a pseudo-inverted fullback, because she is a capable dribbler and carrier, especially into, into space, especially when she gets going and she can meet her top speed. but like, from more like slightly stationary positions, trying to create that separation, it just doesn't come as easily for her as it does Attheea. Cardona. So she's not necessarily going to dominate a game just with 10 dribbling attempts from the touchline, going at someone and putting deliveries into the box, right? It's a little bit more subtle. It's a little bit about her, more about her off ball movements and receptions that make her who she is and has made her valuable so far this season. So yeah, I, I just think it was interesting to see like she was doing well in certain instances, but it was just like she almost couldn't do enough. And, um, I, I probably just something to, to keep an eye on. And, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what Toril can do actually because not only is Aslani back, she's back playing like this, and they pretty much seem like similar players if you were to play them up top. So yeah, it's it's a tough one. and and with Cardona, we'll talk about it in the second half. like Mueller probably isn't even in the starting lineup anymore. So no, but yeah, it, i th- I think you're right, but also,
0: Aslani needs to rotate, like we've talked about how right. we haven't been able to rotate. So to be able to maybe bring Muller Hansen off the bench in that same role so that you're not completely messing with the system if you don't want to, like that, that's a huge sub to be able to have, or a huge person to be able to give Aslani rest while maintaining kind of a similar dynamic, which I think is something that we didn't have and we and we struggled with without Aslani early. Um this season and last season when we were forcing everyone to play like ridiculous amounts of minutes.
1: Muller might see her the, the rest of the season as like a heavy rotation option. And how he how Torio manages that with also rotating Naikari and Esther will be super, super interesting. So there's a lot to look forward to. We can get into second half stuff now, right? Yeah, I think so. All right. So second half, I think it's safe to say that the performance wasn't anywhere near the same. So we actually had more ball possession, which I think is probably down to like the last 15 minutes. So 76% to 24%, but everything else was a lot more even. So nine shots to to the blick's six, two shots on target to blicks three, three corner kicks to blicks two. So it was a bit more even. We were still the better side, but for a bit, especially the first like, 20 minutes it was kind of ugly and I want to know why you thought that was the case Grant um, obviously the, the weather conditions were only getting worse we're up 2-0 right so the players and, and probably the coach are thinking like right, how hard do we really need to go but was there something else was there something Bredeblik was doing was there some some players like really falling off in that half a led to that or is it just I think it was a state of game
0: state and conditions on the end of Real Madrid. But to start the match, Plick dropped really kind of a lot deeper than I expected them to and kind of a four-five-one in the first half and just let us have the ball, maybe trying to just park the bus for the whole match. Obviously, that didn't work. We end up getting two goals through Aslani. And then in the second half, I think you probably have a coach who says they think the game's done, they think the game's won. We could either – we're down, so we have to do something because what we did in the first half – Clearly didn't work. So I think that he kind of upped the line of confrontation, got them pressing a little more, especially when the ball went wide. And the team came out, Real Madrid came out lackluster, a little unfocused. And then that combined with the, the difficulty with the conditions and the pressing made it so that it was a little harder to play through and establish that dominance that we had in the first half. So I think that Blake did do some things that kind of shifted the game, but it also had to do with game state.
1: I think that's pretty much spot on. Bredeblik like really came out with the proper aggressive press in the second half. And to be honest, I think we dealt with it quite poorly now. How much of that is down to the conditions versus our, relative lack of interest compared to the first half versus the like just a general tactical trend over time of us struggling to build through a press especially from a four four two. I don't know I'm not like a genius who can just extricate causation like that which is why sample sizes are important to me but you know since we're talking about the match I gotta say that it wasn't that good Blick had like two or three really decent chances that forced Misa into action. Misa did well, but yeah, it was kind of ugly for a bit. And I was just kind of sitting there like, well, I didn't expect this, but I was glad that Blick came out and impressed because in the first half, I was thinking, okay, the possession is fine. We're building the goal. Well, but this was also the case in the first match versus Blick, Because Coril twice now has done 4-2-3-1 slash 4-4-2. And that was the primary formation he used with his old sides. What I wanted to see was like, what does this look like versus the press? And we somewhat got the answer to that in the second half, and it wasn't that great. And in my opinion, at least, we didn't go back to being the better side until the 71st minute when Maite and Cardona came on. And then we were able to reestablish some control on the pitch, move forward regularly. Score that third goal and then see out the match. Do you think that's fair? Or do you think there was a moment kind of beforehand where we started to to get back into it a bit a bit more? Obviously in the 57th minute, we had an earlier double sub with Esther coming off for Naikari Muller coming off for Lorena.
0: I think that I think that's fair. I
1: thought the
0: second half was pretty ugly and pretty painful to watch. Um, but then when you bring, I mean, what a double sub, right? Cardona and Maite on, obviously things are going to shift and we end up getting that third goal and then there's whatever fight Brady Blick had left is just kind of sucked out of them and so I think we were able to dominate from then on out but it was, it was poor I think in that half just from start to finish. I think Breda Blick was unlucky not to score what would have been their first goal in the Champions League. Misa made some good saves. There was some pretty atrocious defending from Real Madrid. But we stepped up, we brought back the Queen Martha Cardona onto the pitch and uh, she was involved in the goal a little bit, so it was it was good vibes and um made it through with no injuries, three0 win,
1: clean sheet and everything it was it was fine. <laughs> Yeah, how about Cardona? Like, one of the first actions she has when coming on is to make this, like, 25-yard run from the right-hand side straight into the center of the pit, put the ball into her left foot, and she skews the shot a bit. I'm actually surprised that she kind of, like, stopped, then shifted it onto her foot and went for it. I thought she was just going to have a go on the fly like we've seen her do before, but that was that felt good, right? Like, to see that, like, her galloping out there just blowing past everyone, and...
0: Oh, I think no. if it's not snowing, that's in the top bins. I mean, Probably. we've seen we've seen
1: Cardona do that how many times? That's the Cardona special right there. I was smiling beforehand, obviously. Like, I really enjoyed Asani's performance. We like Asani on this podcast. But if there's a player I'm partial to, it's obviously Cardona. I'm like, that, that was like just a wide smile for me. Like, yes, this is – to see her come out and, and be that explosive, like, right from the off that's what I wanted to see. That felt good. And then after that, it was just kind of like, all right, let's no injuries. I don't want a graded clear to like even touch her. There was a moment right where she was fouled pretty hard and, and Ronald and Twitter did not appreciate that, but overall, like a really promising cameo that like, I just, I feel like it gives a lift to the team. Maybe this is just me like speaking with an inability to kind of separate my emotions from it because obviously it's with me, but, when the best player from last season comes on and you see her just blowing by people and helping you get back in the second half, like surely that's a great feeling for everyone around you. It's like, all right, she's back, right? Like if we're in a tough moment, she can bail us out. We can just, we can just relax a tiny bit now because we're coming back. Like that was a feeling I'd probably have if I was a player on the team, you know, who knows, but it was, those were some good vibe moments. Just some, yeah. I
0: couldn't help but thinking of if Aslani's playing like this on a on a real pitch that's not covered in snow, drifting to these sides, you have Athene on one wing, Cardona on the other wing, swapping flanks, linking up with Aslani. I mean, Olga overlapping Kenty overlapping or underlapping. That's exciting. That that's what we signed up for this season. I think um having everybody back and healthy and if they're going to play like we saw today it's going to be a lot a lot more exciting we're see a lot more goals and we're going to have two players who have been on this team before that know how to take the initiative when the team isn't playing well take over a game provide that moment of individual brilliance which is something that we haven't really had and it's super exciting I'm disappointed that the (laughs) the upcoming game is against barcelona because i want to see what it looks like against um non superhumans but i'm excited and maybe they can maybe they can do something magical this weekend
1: maybe they can so some statistics from cardona in about 20 odd minutes of play one shot obviously two out of three successful dribbles 19 touches 10 out of 11 accurate passes 91 percent accuracy one cross Four out of five ground duels won, two fouls won. So she was making stuff happen in a short period of time. And that was, that was very pleasant to see. The last substitution was right after the goal that Zornosa scored, 83rd minute. Lucio Rodriguez comes on for Kenty. I don't think there's really much to say about Lucio. Did you have more to say about the other three subs, Maite, Lorena, and Naikari? I didn't have much to say. Um, I thought they were
0: kind of quiet. The game was over. I didn't have anything that really stood out. I was also repping out the immediate reaction. So
1: so just, I think maybe to support the point, Mike they came on and helped bring calmness to that midfield again and help us progress past the, pe- the press into the final third, 86% passing accuracy on 22 attempts just for to, to be able to get a relative sense of what that means, Zornoza was 83% passing accuracy and Teresa was 77%. So, I mean, Maite is the cleanest midfielder that we have, right? So she comes on, gives us a little bit of control. Cardona gives us a massive threat down that right-hand side. Obviously, things are going to look better for us and we're able to get closer to goal. I, d- I didn't really have that much to say about Lorena. I thought it was probably a bit unfortunate for her that, she plays on the right hand side initially when everything starts going down the left. So she barely gets the ball. And then when she kind of has to like switch back again, kind of like the left hand side, because Cardona goes to the right, everything starts going down the right. So she's, she wasn't really able to get the ball. Naikari, I don't really have much to say besides the fact that like her statistical profile is like incredibly unkind to her. And I think it's probably inaccurate reflection of the fact that she she barely had an impact when she came on, which, you know, is whatever, tough second half. But maybe not now, just because of the timing of the managerial change, and, and it could it could lead to so much different than what's been happening before, that I do feel like at a certain point, we might have to have, like, the unpleasant conversation about Nike's form this season and what we can do about that, because it's not been amazing up until this point. And um, there isn't a player that's more supported on the team than her, at least from the fan perspective. Right. So we'll, we'll just have to see. Um, I'm not like, you know, trying to bring up sports or anything. We know her quality. She was a signing that was extremely excited about, but I, I mean, I do expect those players to deliver. So we'll wait. I'm, I'm willing to wait a long time you know, with, with everything that's happened with Todeo with the squad before I, and, and I won't say anything concrete until I feel like I have a handle on it, everything, but we're in December. And I feel like Nike has had like one good game. And so it, it does worry me a little bit, but I don't know if you want to stick your neck out there, Grant, or just, just let me say it and, and keep quiet and move on. I think that
0: with the way that this season has gone, all of the the turmoil, all of the injuries, all of the trying, all these different systems. I think maybe bringing in someone wants to real, maybe add some stability, add some predictability. We could see more, um, more better performances. If he could figure out how to unlock the potential night, I think she's had some bright moments. She scored a few goals, two goals, I think. But um, a lot of the time when she's coming on, it's in unideal conditions today. I mean, unideal is an understatement with the game already put to bed and the atrocious conditions. And even when she started, she's been in some schemes that don't necessarily suit her playing style, like playing her out on the left and things like that. So I think it's kind of just trying to figure out where the puzzle pieces mesh. Obviously, she is probably as more critical than any any of us could be and knows that she needs to be doing better it's just trying to figure out how to unlock that and i and i hope she can
1: i think that's like the real challenge is how do you figure out how to get her back to her best right because last season it was a bit weird with her it wasn't quite the season she'd been having previously that built up the reputation that that she's that she's had and i think she deserves and that built up this immense affection that really everyone in Spanish football has for her and getting her back to that, I think is a challenge because I think the easiest way, and and this is with any player is just play them, right? Just start them six, seven, eight games in a row. And they'll work their way through it. Right. You might suffer through that period, but if you really believe this player like has high end production, which Kari does, it'll be worth it in the end. Right. Like that's what Real Madrid did with Benzema for multiple seasons, right? Not just six, eight games and it worked out in the end because we know his quality we know naikari's inherent quality and how we tease that out is, is tough because i don't think you can do that right if there was a moment you could do that it was like with all the injuries and that didn't even necessarily happen and even when she had a run of games it was tough like it's it's almost like it needs to be in really good circumstances where she's being used in the right way and she gets the run of games but the problem is that i think it's extremely obvious and i'm not just saying this because of this game like because we understand who these players are, right? It's not a mystery to us. I think it's super obvious that the best pairing has to have Aslani in it. And then the question is who plays up top. And at the moment, that's Esther. Now Esther has been up and down. I don't think she was really that good today. I kind of mentioned that even though her positioning was fine. Apparently she wasn't very good versus B.A.D. But Esther has clearly been the better of the two versus Nari across this season. And so... If you look, and I, I think Toriel recognize that, and that's why he's, he's starting Aslanius at the top, right? So if that's the preferred pair, then what you're going to have is Nayakari like, might enter like a Jovic situation where it has to be like, when she comes off the bench, regardless of whether the situation is ideal or when she gets that one start, she has to make a mark, right? She has to get that goal or she really needs to dominate outside of those things to one, make Toriel stand up and be like, okay, I need to think about this more and get herself back into it. And that's just really, really tough to do, right? It's, And, and that's what like has me slightly worried is not that like, I think, oh, I'm, I'm saying like, this is it, right? Now you call him a fraud or something. It's that I know she's a really good player. But when you go through long ruts like this, what generally helps bring it out is either a lot of faith and you just, you just play through it. Or somehow you have to find a way through like bits and pieces of minutes here and there in unideal circumstances to really break through. And I I just think the latter scenario is tougher. So something to really pay attention to. And I think pay attention to carefully because I'm sure people will be talking about it. But be frank, I mean, I don't know how informative the discourse will be given like all the emotions surrounding it, but I am a little worried about it just because I I think she's in a really tough situation and I don't think anything is going to be kind of handed to her or made easier for her because one, this is Real Madrid, but also because I think it's better for the team at the moment if she's not in the starting 11 right now. And like, she needs to find a way to work herself in like at her best versus Esther. That's a real conversation. And I might go and pick night guy, but she's not at her best. Esther might not be at her best, but she's been better, and so it's a really tough situation to be in. And I guess, like after you know, I was happy about Cardona, happy about signing. That's kind of when my where my mind went to after the game when I was thinking of like how do I frame this discussion in a way that's like remotely productive. I think it'll be a huge failure for the team if we're not able to to get the best out of her this season. Like she's a marquee signing she's one really that's for the future right as there's like 29 I think Naikari is like 24 like Naikari is is the future striker of this team right like we want her to see out her prime leading this side and we can't just like let a season go by so this is something for everyone to work out but ultimately as tough and maybe as unfair as, as it might be I think it's probably going to come down to her and um I think in the long run it'll all work out my worry is just about this season
0: yeah I think that's well said um I I have faith that she'll turn it around I think there's going to be league games where we're playing sides that are not to to the same quality as you know some of the the other teams there's going to be rotation especially around the knockout stages now that's a two-leg affair and obviously we're going to want I mean whoever we get is going to be a very very tall task so I think there are going to be opportunities. She just has to take them. She needs to hopefully just stay confident, stay trusting in her ability, and hopefully a little luck will fall her way, and we won't have to to wait as long as we've seen with this whole Jovic situation. But I think there could be a similar but sped up pathway where Nadikari gets maybe a few a few runouts. And and flips the script, and all of a sudden she has her
1: confidence back. She's feeling good about herself, and she's on a roll. Basically, we believe she'll come good. I think is the point. It's just a question of when and how soon, and the faster it happens, the better for all of us, and um, the most importantly, better for the team. Anything else we want to say about this game? It's fairly straightforward, right? It's one of those where you start over analyzing things, right? You're making a mistake, but any other notes? I
0: think we just got to talk about, you
1: know, the situation in the grand
0: scheme of things we we thought it was going to take a miracle to finish in second place last year, we thought it was going to take a miracle to beat Manchester City. We got a very kind draw in the group stage and we're into the knockouts of the UEFA Women's Champions League, something that I don't think even the most optimistic of fans would have predicted if we were looking at it last season. So I think it's just important to realize, you know, we get so stuck into these situations because this is where we are now and we're fans, but it's important to remember just how far we've come in a short period of time. And it's it's pretty awesome that we'll be playing a two-legged Champions League affair with, with a very, very top side shortly here.
1: Who knows, man maybe we can shithouse our way to the semis. It is Real Madrid. Your to, shithouse your way to the semis. Like, it's right there. It's right there, man. So I, I think anything after this is a bonus, right? This was one of our objectives. Yeah, well, play,
0: playing with house money at this point. Yeah,
1: And so I'm like really just going to sit back and, and just enjoy the journey because I don't expect anything from here, even if we're playing at our best, even if all the tactics are spot on it's not just a question of like going up against superior teams, but also like the inexperience and other sides being better prepared for this moment. It's going to be over two legs now. So it's not just a question of being able to get a shock result, right? Like if we come up against Chelsea and we were able to like catch them out and we have a really good first result, then you're going to come up against Emma Hayes, who is a master of analyzing what happened in the first leg, fixing it and then beating you in some way or the other which is literally how Chelsea got to the final last season. It was them messing up the first leg, Temeje Hayes looking at what happened, completely changing things around, and then beating everyone until you got to the unstoppable force that is Barcelona, right? So it's a completely different level of football, which we haven't experienced. You could argue, I mean, PSG, I guess, was, was the experience and how did that go for us, right? So, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to enjoy that. Like, I enjoyed watching Sam Kerr, like, absolutely deck that pitching <laughs> fan. There's a video out of it now. Oh, so
0: my I'm gosh. I have shit. seen it. Yeah, she lit his ass up. <laughs> Which, absolute queen shit.
1: That's Dude, I don't
0: crazy. know why she got a yellow card. That's BS, man. This guy was strutting around on the pitch.
1: Like, he needed to get truck stick. I think it's actually part of, like, the uh established protocols where, like, it's treated if a player attacks a fan in the stands like it's treated as the same thing which is bullshit obviously but like so so then the player would get a card obviously that's dumb and like the referee should be able to like be able to see the situation and make a better judgment call but i do actually think that's like part of precedent and so the referee didn't have much of a choice that's well worth it change but yeah i mean well worth it right like I hate fans like that. I mean, I understand we all go crazy with these footballs. I mean, God knows how I'd act if, you know, like one day I'm able to meet like Cardona and not the Dan stuff. You know, I'd probably like be a complete fool. But it breaks a boundary. Like it breaks like a really physical, literal boundary. Right? It's like super obvious. Like that is the pitch is the purview of the players of the officials. And that's it, right? Coaches aren't even allowed to step onto the pitch when things are in play. Right. Like it it breaks a boundary that is very symbolic in that, like, which is just, I think, part of celebrity culture and you know how that's poisoned all of our minds that like we think we are friends with these players, right? People call them parasocial relationships, and that we think, like, yeah, I deserve that access to another human being where I can just, you know, run in there and you know demand a selfie stand around and take pictures it's like the most literal example of being unable to understand what an athlete is and what their relationship is to you and where the lines are and so i've always despised you know those those fans right i mean you know just don't do it like don't do it and i think they've always been rewarded too much right obviously players being really gracious multiple times you know i'm not saying like you know, I quite enjoyed what Sam Kerr did. I'm not saying like, you know, players should just absolutely like attack the person who runs on. But for once, I think it sends a sterner message that needs to happen, which is that it's it's usually either treated as, oh, this is actually like really cool or it's like basically a joke. No, like stop fucking doing it. Yeah. Anything. And I'm not condoning pitch invading, but I think
0: that there's a difference between running on, you know, hugging your your favorite player which is one thing you still shouldn't do it but this guy was just strutting around he wasn't even talking to any of the players he was just videotaping himself acting like he owned the place like this wasn't it didn't seem like he was some fan who was overcome by emotion it seemed like some idiot who thought he could make a show of himself and a show of himself he did but he didn't make it Sam Kerr did because she absolutely laid his ass out. And he will be viral.
1: This is a simply iconic moment.
0: Oh, I mean, this dude is just going to be a meme for the rest of his life. In video <laughs> form, in photo form. I've already seen the memes doing the rounds. This guy thought he was, his, was winning
1: the day and he
0: is about to take a fat L.
1: If you want to meet players with outside the stadium, there are areas for fans to be. Where you can get autographs. And if the player doesn't come up to you, if they ignore you, talk shit. I know it sucks. I know you know you might have traveled all that way, but guess what? You don't have an entitlement to that. And I think people need to understand that and respect that more because, especially in the age of social media, we think like these players owe us things that they really don't. So, yeah, that's that's I think a good message to end this podcast. It's it's something I I trumpet quite frequently. Know our boundaries as fans, and uh, respect them. All right, Grant. We will be back versus Barcelona. Very unfortunately, at six a.m. to watch. Wake up at that godforsaken time to watch our girls get absolutely smashed. But it's it's part of the job. It's, it's part of being a fan around us. I mean You know, it's part of being a fan in, in women's football. Like you're gonna watch your team get destroyed by Barcelona. The yeah. one
0: thing that unites us all. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Looking forward, I think we take what happens throughout the rest of the season as a bonus, right? We can fight our way back in the Champions League, that's a bonus. We can go farther in the knockout rounds, that's a bonus. I think there's a sense there, there's a lot less pressure. And with Osnar gone, there's also like it, it it feels like we have a fresh new start. And I do think there's a lot of potential for a lot more positives to happen. I people have to put in the work, right? It's not just gonna happen out of nowhere. We saw some issues today that need to be worked on, but it does feel like we're coming out into the light a little bit. And fingers crossed, Aslani Cardona stay fit. Some, something good is gonna happen, right? Because you just you can't continue to lose games when those players are on your side as we saw last season. So good vibes ahead, hopefully. All right, Grant. Appreciate it, as always, man. Al Madrid. Al Madrid. Sports Social Podcast Network.